And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Hosea chapter 5. And if you don't have your Bibles, the text will be displayed on the wall, and it's also in your bulletin, I believe. But for the last several weeks, we've been looking at this 8th century B.C. prophet writing some 750 years before the birth of Jesus, Hosea. And Hosea the man, you may recall, was called to do a very difficult thing, a hard thing. God had called him to marry a promiscuous woman. Some passages refer to the woman as a prostitute. But the idea is that she is sexually unfaithful. She is an adulteress. And you may be hearing this for the first time and asking yourself, what in the world is the Bible about? What's going on here? Well, this is, this is dramatic language, prophetic language, which was to image how God's covenant people had been unfaithful to Him. And so Hosea called to do that most difficult thing. Uh, and we've, as we've considered Hosea, <clears throat> I've tried to emphasize the importance of understanding this covenantal nature of the book. Each week there's something in it that's very challenging for our American ears to hear and understand because we don't think so covenantally as God's Word was given. And so that covenant context is going to come up this morning again as the main theme to the book. There's more dramatic imagery that's going to be used. So far, Hosea has used the drama of, of the unfaithful wife being on a street corner, essentially on an auction block. And you may remember that despite her unfaithfulness and her giving herself to many other lovers, it's the Lord, it's Hosea, who shows up and bids for her on the auctioning block emptying his pockets, paying all of his resources to redeem his unclean bride. She was still loved and desired by her husband, though she had been very unfaithful. That's the imagery the Lord uses to help us understand the nature of his holiness, our sinfulness, and his great covenant love for us, which we have failed to return to him. Hosea then, covenantally, painted the picture of a courtroom where a just judge and a prosecuting attorney would point at where the guilt lay for this unfaithfulness. And if you were here last week, you heard an uncomfortable sermon about the priesthood, that it was the religious leaders who had failed Israel, which had led to the great unfaithfulness. And now this morning... He's going to be dramatic once again, and he is going to further indict the priests, the people as a whole, but now he's going to use the language of the royal house, and that essentially is the administrators of Israel, the administration of the royal house. So give your attention to Hosea chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. Hear this, you priests. Pay attention, you Israelites. Listen, royal house. This judgment is against you. You have been a snare 
at Mitzpah, a net spread out on Tabor. The rebels are knee-deep in slaughter. I will discipline all of them. I know all about Ephraim. Israel is not hidden from me. Ephraim, you have now turned to prostitution. Israel is corrupt. Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. A spirit of prostitution is in their heart. They do not acknowledge the Lord. Israel's arrogance testifies against them. The Israelites, even Ephraim, stumble in their sin. Judah also stumbles with them. When they go with their flocks and herds to seek the Lord, they will not find Him. He has withdrawn Himself from them. They are unfaithful to the Lord. They give birth to illegitimate children. And when they celebrate their new moon feasts, He will devour their fields. Sound the trumpet in Gibeah, the horn in Ramah. Raise the battle cry in beth Aven. Lead on, Benjamin. Ephraim will be laid waste on the day of reckoning. Among the tribes of Israel, I proclaim what is certain. Judah's leaders are like those who move boundary stones. I will pour out my wrath on them like a flood of water. Ephraim is oppressed, trampled in judgment, intent on pursuing idols. I am like a moth to Ephraim, like rot to the people of Judah. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his sores, then Ephraim turned to Assyria and sent to the great king for help. But he is not able to cure you, not able to heal your sores, for I will be like a lion to Ephraim, like a great lion to Judah. I will tear them to pieces and go away. I will carry them off with no one to rescue them. Then I will return to my lair until they have borne their guilt and seek my face. In their misery, they will earnestly seek me. It's a challenging word. That's a hard word. Hosea said it all intentionally, all inspired by God for the good of a wayward people. Let's pray for God's blessing in helping us understand and apply it ourselves. Lord, would you take these words, which we believe to be your words, written long ago, but still to be applied to your covenant people, to your church. And so, Lord, would you help us to understand and to make right application of it, that we might know and believe who Jesus is and what he has done for his church, for his covenant people. We pray it in his name. Amen. Wow, what an amazing text. What a challenging text 
You could come at this any number of ways. I've had to make a decision about how to do it, which means that many things will not be said that could be said, but I'll give you what I can give you in the way that I can give it to you. So there are clear signs and symptoms of things like aging. As you get older, as you look in the mirror, you are seeing the evidence, the symptoms, the signs of getting a little bit older. Children love this. They love to see themselves get older. I think children do. I did. And we love to measure our growth with, with notching boards or, or maybe in the doorpost, seeing how we grow. Parents and adults, not so much. We don't like looking in the mirror, seeing the evidence of change. There are things that start to happen. We lose our hair. We gain weight. We lose our flexibility. And with all that, there's always this sense of loss and of gain. We lose our weight, excuse me, we lose our hair, we gain our weight, we start to lose our energy, but we gain earlier bedtimes, right? <laughs> Days come a little bit shorter as we get older. Uh, we lose our vision. We gain these glasses that we can't keep up with and we put them on the back of our heads so we don't lose them. We lose our memory as we get older. But we gain... I can't remember what I was... What do we gain? <laughs> lose our memory. I can't remember. Okay, well, there are signs and symptoms that come with aging as God's covenant people. There are signs and symptoms of decline of health. There are signs of spiritual sickness and decline in the life of God's covenant people. And there are three that I want to highlight as we try to understand what's happening in Hosea chapter 5. That is their loss of memory, their hardness of hearing, and ultimately the hardness of their hearts. Those are three things I want us to see. I think the scriptures speak to about the covenant people and how they had reached this point of this covenant judgment, these stark words, these harsh words that God is speaking to His people. So those three things, and they're fleshed out in this way. Israel, at this point in their history, was lost to the grip of sin. Sin had grasped them, and they loved it. And they were given to their sin. And verses 1 through 5 of Hosea chapter 5 are all about that grip of sin and what sin does to God's people. That's the loss of memory, the hard of hearing, and the hardness of heart that became characteristic of these people. The loss of memory. Deuteronomy chapter 24 verse 18 was our reflection. A passage put before us uh, that you had opportunity to see and to read and to consider. But it said this, Always remember and never forget you were slaves in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. So God's covenant people were to always remember and never forget their past, who they were and who God was, that He was the author of their salvation. He gave them their identity as His covenant people. And you know, just if you're, if you're parents, you have to tell your children not to forget things or to do things 
because children will forget and not do things. So when we read in God's Word, don't forget, we need to immediately understand, I'm going to be prone to forget this. I'm going to be inclined to forget this. In 2000, there was a movie, and I wish I could recommend, but it's rated R, so this is not a recommendation, but it's a pretty good movie. It was called Memento. Some of you may have seen it. It was a Christopher Nolan movie, but it's a movie about amnesia, about not being able to remember. And I thought of that movie this week as I was preparing this with these thoughts about memory loss. But the the interesting point of the movie is this, this person, the main character, who has amnesia and can't remember anything in the short term, he has a strategy to help him to remember and to never forget. And those of you who have seen the movie know what I'm going to say. He writes everything down on sticky notes, on notepads, as he's trying to piece together the story of of his life, of who he is. He writes everything down. He even tattoos his body with sentences and images that he doesn't want to forget. He has to find a way to remind himself of what is true. Well, what does that remind me of? Well, it reminds me of John Newton. John Newton, the slave trader turned minister. Uh, He he did this. So in his autobiography, he's given us the story of his Christian life. And throughout his autobiography, there are statements that say this. I forgot. I soon forgot. How quickly... I forgot. And all of that characterizes his Christian experience. He kept forgetting the promises of God. He, quit, he, he kept struggling to remember what was true. And in his autobiography, he, he reveals, I, just, I forgot the things that were driving me, and I had to remind myself. And do you know what he did to remind himself? He took the words of Deuteronomy... And he framed them and put them above his mantle in his study so that he would never forget because he was prone to forget. And do you know what the passage was he put? You must remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed thee. That same Deuteronomy passage. He who had been in the slave trade needed to remember who he was. He was a slave, and the Lord his God had delivered him. He forgot too soon he forgot, too quickly he forgot, but he needed to remember. That is the status of Israel. As Hosea is writing these hard words, they had forgotten who they were. They had forgotten whose they were. They had forgotten God's law, God's commands. They had forgotten everything about the nature of their relationship with God. They had memory loss. Secondly, they were hard of hearing. They were hard of hearing. Romans chapter 10 says what? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing the word of Christ. And these Israelites had reached the point that they could not hear God's word. They had forgotten all that they knew to be true. And now they are dull of hearing. Hebrews chapter 5 used that language. You may remember from our study in Hebrews some months ago. They are warned, they're cautioned, do not be dull in your hearing 
of God's Word. So we're told these things because these things tend to be true of all of us. We can be hard of hearing when it comes to God's Word and His instruction. You parents know what it is to to tell a child something and it's as if they didn't hear you. They'll just keep, keep... You can ask them to go do a chore and they'll come back and say what? What did you ask me to do? I, was, I walked to go do something and I can't remember what you told me, Dad. Not that anybody's ever said that to me. But we're that way. It's, it's like words can go right by us and, and they don't register with us. And that's how it is spiritually for Israel and for us. John Owen, in his book, The Mortification of Sin, says this, Aim for a clear sense of the guilt danger, and evil of sin, lest you grow sermon-proof and sickness-proof. And that's the language I want to sit on for a moment. John Owen said, we've got to be aware of sin, the nature of sin, and how it works in us. Otherwise, we can become what he calls sermon-proof which is to say our ears won't work at anything God speaks to us. It'll just bounce right off of us. We can be sermon-proof. And that leads to the third thing. The hardness of heart. This is what that whole book of Hebrews was all about in its warnings. This is the same warning that Hosea is giving these Israelites in the 8th century. It's the hardness of heart and what can be called the point of no return. This is a harsh word. It's a grave word. And I'm going to share the words of Rob Rayburn, who summarizes this portion very well. Listen to this. He says, Hosea warns of the danger of a protracted indifference to the word of God, of refusing God's summons to faith and repentance, and living in continued defiance for weeks, months, years. If we do that, it can so render a person's heart to be so hard, so calloused to the Word and the presence of God, that the heart becomes impervious to that Word and beyond hope of salvation. A refusal to give answer to God when He speaks, protracted over time, can see the Lord withdraw from a person or a community to leave them never to return. The great prophets of the Old Testament, together with the whole of Scripture, proclaim and faithful ministers of God's Word have always proclaimed However, the idea may cut across the grain of today's comfortable and non-threatening approach to salvation, that in the spiritual life, there is in fact a point of no return. That is the hardness of heart. That is the word that Hosea, the uncomfortable, harsh word that Hosea is speaking to these Israelites and that God gives us for our consideration in His Holy Word. Rob Rayburn goes on to try to further explain that in a way that I think is helpful when he says this, Just as with tobacco or alcohol or other vices, there is a point which is reached sooner or later 
when the damage done to the lungs or to the liver cannot be undone. Though a person may live for some time yet, he or she has passed the point of no return. The damage is too great to be cured. So in the spiritual realm, persistent refusal to believe what God says and to obey Him, to fail to repent and believe the gospel, finally so hardens the heart and poisons the mind as to render them impervious to change. Such people become, as John Owen put it, sermon-proof and sickness-proof. And so the Israelites had become in Hosea's day. This is alarming. This is the alarming message of Hosea that is intended to shake these people, to stir these people. And Hosea builds the case out of this history that Israel had had with the Lord. Specifically, it's clearly a reference to Israel's hard-hearted rebellion against the Lord recorded in Numbers 13 and 14. We won't turn there, but the summary of it is this. This is when the Lord had called His people to finally enter the promised land. And He commanded them, now go. And they sent spies into the land. Do you remember this? And the spies went into that land and they saw it was just as the Lord had said. He had been true to His word. It it flowed with milk and honey. And the grape clusters were enormous. All the provision of the Lord, just as He had said. But the spies came back and reported they had seen something else. There were giants in the land. Warriors that they just were convinced would make grasshoppers out of them. They felt like grasshoppers in comparison, the text says. And so they refused to enter the land. And the Lord says His anger burned against His people. So Moses reports that what you have done, you have not believed the Lord. You have been hard-hearted. You've not believed Him. And so the people, the next day, less than 24 hours later, they have a change of mind and a change of heart. And they're like, we'll go. We'll go now. And the Lord says, no, don't go. I am not with you. This is really hard for us. But, but there's this phrase, and I've used it in my family with my children. It's... it's Slow obedience is no obedience. Slow obedience is no obedience. That's exactly what the Lord is telling His covenant people. And then in Numbers 14, listen to this harsh language. The Lord Himself speaks to His covenant people. He says, Do not go up into the land because the Lord is not with you. You will be defeated by your enemies. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites will face you there. Because you have turned away from the Lord, He will not be with you. And you will, you will fall by the sword. That is the horrific news. That is the bad news. That the Lord who had bound Himself to a people because of their unfaithfulness, He says He will withdraw. He will take a step back. And He will let them experience what it is to not know them as God, as shepherd, as protector, and as king. Now this is exactly what Hosea is referencing in verse 6 of chapter 5 when he says, I will withdraw from you. 
in our marriages, in our friendships, with our roommates. We can live through difficult times and moments and you can feel a person withdraw a little bit. I'm not going to talk to you. You're going to get the silent treatment for a little while. That's kind of like what's going on here. But this is covenantal. And this is judgment. And it was intended by Hosea, by the Lord, to rattle these people, to shake these people. And this is not language unfamiliar to the New Testament. This same kind of language is in the New Testament. Listen to Romans chapter 1 and what the Lord says there. Verse 18 and then verses 23 to 25. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They have exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. And then in verse 24, what does it say? Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator. Jesus Himself in Matthew chapter 7, you remember He says, Many people will come to Me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do things for You? Didn't we do many things for You? These are religious people. But you remember the Lord's response. Away from me, I never knew you. So this is not unique to Hosea. It's not unique to the Old Testament. This is all a part of Scripture and how God has revealed the reality of what relationship and covenant relationship looks like and what the expectations are. And so secondly, Israel must now suffer in the grip of judgment. They've been in the grip of sin. They've been dominated by sin. And now they will fall in the grip of judgment. That's verses 6 through 15a. But there are three images, three dramatic images that Hosea very briefly gives. And that is in verse 12a, 12b, and then 14 to 15. Listen to that again. This is the Lord describing Himself. I am like a moth to Ephraim. And Ephraim is the name of the largest tribe in Israel. So Ephraim kind of embodies Israel. Uh, it's used, you could insert Israel there for clarity. I am like a moth to Ephraim, like rot to the people of Judah. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his sores, then Ephraim turned to Assyria and sent to the great king for help. But he is not able to cure you, not able to heal your sores. And here's the other image. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim, like a great lion to Judah. I will tear them to pieces and go away. I will carry them off with no one to rescue them. And then I will return to my lair until they have borne their guilt and seek my face. In their misery, they will earnestly seek me. So this imagery of moth and rot and lion, these are images that God gives to communicate the judgment 
of sin. So consider each of those briefly. The moth. The moth is an insect of destruction. It eats away. It brings ruin. You know this in your own home. Some of you have mothballs to protect your, your wool garments, you know, your fine garments. Or moths can get into your food and ruin your food. The moth was, was an agent of destruction. And the Lord is saying He will be like a moth to these unfaithful covenant people. This is bad news. This is hard news. This is shocking and alarming news. Then He goes on and He immediately says, I will be, Yahweh, the Lord of the covenant, will be as rot. And any experience you have with rot is not a positive experience. Whether it's fruit or whether it's a, a building, rot is ruin. It's the imagery and evidence of ruin. And you remember in the covenant curses in Deuteronomy 28, which I've referenced each week, the Lord says if they're not faithful, they will be cursed in their coming and cursed in their going. If they're faithful, they'll be blessed in their coming and blessed in their going. So this is more evidence of their unfaithfulness has real consequences. And then the third image he gives there is the Lord, Yahweh, as a lion. Now, C.S. Lewis has made us familiar with, with Aslan, the Lord as a great lion, and it's a beautiful image. It's good news to be between the two paws of Aslan. But that's not the imagery as Hosea is using it. It's not to be between the paws of Aslan. It's to be in the claws of Aslan. It's to be in the teeth of Aslan. And the imagery that he gives is of a lion devouring its prey. All of that is Hosea's sobering warning to these covenant people, to God's church. And it's, how do you make a sermon out of this? How, how do you get a happy moment at the end? Well, you don't have to invent it. The news is good. It's, remember I've told you it's in the badness of the bad news that the good news becomes so sweet. Well, all he's done here is indictment and judgment. Covenant judgment is looming. It's coming for you because you have deserved it. But then we get to the last part of verse 15. And there's a glimmer of hope. There's something that leads to the hope that there's got to be more to the story. And that is the hope of a remnant who would be saved by the grip of grace. There's the grip of sin. There's the grip of judgment. But could there be something so good as a grip of grace? And that's what he indicates and that's what he'll reveal. But these people must know their guilt. They must acknowledge their guilt. Then they need to seek his face. But more than that, he says they need to earnestly, that is sincerely, Seek His face. Not as they have been doing, going through the motions, playing with Baal on the side, and offering sacrifices to Yahweh. They would need to earnestly, sincerely be His covenant people. And so there's a glimmer of hope at the end of five. But remember these chapter divisions in our Bible as we have them? You know, chapter six comes after five. But that division... Don't think that the flow of thought comes to an end at five. Now, this will be the sermon, part of the sermon for next week. But with that glimmer of hope at the end of five, listen to the first verses of Hosea chapter six. Come, 
Let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us that He may heal us. He has struck us down, but He will bind us up. After two days, He will revive us. And on the third day, He will raise us up that we may live before Him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn, and He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. That's the same flow of thought. All that harsh judgment in chapter 5, it comes to the good news in chapter 6. So what do we do with this? This language of the Lord as a lion, that He tears sin and sinners apart. He shreds them. Well, this morning we're coming to the table and we're reminded again that there was someone torn for our sins. There was someone shredded for our iniquity. The covenant curses, those same threats and those real curses, they really did come to visit on someone. And it's the Lord Jesus who took it, who did it for His church, for His unfaithful people. And so in everything that Hosea says, none of it should be blunted. It's all horrible, it's vicious, and it all points to the cross. It points to the person of Jesus who was broken for us, whose blood was shed for us. And He Himself would be the Lion of the tribe of Judah. But you and I can be in between His paws peacefully because the Lord Jesus Himself was torn for His church and for His covenant people. These are the things we need to remember and never forget despite our having a spiritual memory loss that we're all prone to. We need to not be so dull of hearing this good news over and over and over again. That's why the author to Hebrews said, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Hear the good news for what it is. And regarding that hardness of heart that we are prone to, and particularly this morning as we come to the table, we're invited to repent and believe the gospel. That everything Jesus has done, He's done for His church. And if you've professed faith in Him, if you've been united to Him, if you are a part of His church, He was torn for you. He took your sin. And so we come to the table and and we come quickly. We come boldly. Because those covenant curses remind us, if He didn't take them, and I have to take them for my own sin, there is no hope for me. Because my sin is great. And He is a just and holy Lord. Thanks be to God that He is a merciful covenant Lord who sent the Lord Jesus to take the price for our sin. We're going to sing an appropriate hymn with all of this in mind. O sacred head now wounded. But I want you to hear the gospel in one particular lyric of that hymn that summarizes this so well. What thou, my Lord, 
has suffered was all for sinner's gain. Mine, mine was the transgression, but thine the deadly pain. Which is to say, it was my sin that needed to perish, but he perished for my sin. And all that is gained is by grace because of that grip of grace that God has put a remnant in. Let's pray, and then we'll sing, and we'll come quickly to the table. Lord, we thank you for what is a hard word from Hosea. So many uncomfortable images and things that we don't want to think about. But yet, Lord, the beauty of the gospel is in it all. And so, Lord, as we come to the table and as we sing of you, would you help us to repent and to believe the gospel? Would you help us not to put off that call and that summons that you make to repent and believe the gospel? But Lord, give us the faith to believe. We ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.